This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TurboTax Live, new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need for tax advice to help you file with confidence. Go to TurboTaxLive.com fool. You just got a couple weeks left. It's getting close. Let's do the show. It's Tuesday, April 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's Ron Gross. Hey, how are you? I'm good. We're both back from our respective spring breaks. Yes. How was yours? We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. We'll. Oh, well, you know, I brought a lot of notes, so this is going to be some show. This really is. And I'm prepared. That's how you can tell that Ron brought notes because you can hear them. Right. Let's hear Thank that you, one Mr. more Letterman. time. Yeah, if he didn't prepare, would would he be able to do that? Exactly. Uh, we're gonna dip into the full mailbag. We're gonna delve into the automotive industry. We got to start though with Spotify, which is going public as we speak. Again, this is a DPO, not an IPO. Sure. DPO means yeah. Direct. Why are they doing the direct public offering? Because it seems like the financial upside for them is smaller. Or do I have that wrong? Well, the company gets no money at all, and they don't necessarily need it. So, okay. Um, the reason you would do a DPO instead of an IPO is because it's a shorter process, it's less expensive, there's no dilution because there are no new shares created. You're just selling existing shares. Um, and typically, there's no lockup period, which is a period of time where shareholders are not allowed to sell shares. So, those reasons, I think, are valid. But then you have to say to yourself, do I want to buy shares in a company where an existing shareholder is selling their stock to me, and they're probably an insider that know way more about the company than you do, um, and the company is not raising capital for any type of future growth? And so that's a decision every investor happens to make. I'm on record as saying a company really should only go public if it needs to access the capital markets for growth, not because their investment uh, venture capitalists or the insiders need an exit strategy. And this is kind of what that is. So I, you know, count me as not a fan. I was just going to say, <laughs> safe to say, you will not be buying shares of Spotify, right? But there's there's actual risks to the company too. In a typical IPO, you kind of know how much capital you're going to raise because the investment bankers are involved, and it's kind of set. You don't know how the stock will trade after the company goes public, but you know how much money you're going to raise. In a DPO, you're not raising money, so it kind of doesn't matter. Um, it's probably going to be a more volatile stock. Um, at least in the early stages with a DPO, because, again, you don't have the investment bankers looking after the stock in the same way. You probably don't have the same research coverage. Certainly, you don't have the same research coverage from the investment bank or bankers that are taking you public. So, the institutional banks are not as interested, let's say. So, there are downsides. But, again, the biggest one for me is that the company's not raising money. It's just insiders are selling stock. I don't want to give Spotify's management any more credit than they necessarily deserve, but I, I sort of want to assume that they have thought the investment banker piece of this through. I always like to imagine the conversations that happen in the conference rooms, and I have to believe at least one person at Spotify in that conference room when they were debating this strategy said, let's be very clear about what's going to happen here. The investment banking community has no incentive whatsoever to be nice to us, even remotely. And by the way, they probably have incentive to not be nice to us. All that being said, that makes me think that if they have at least thought that piece of it through, 
maybe they are confident in their business model. Perhaps. I think they would be less confident in going this route if they actually needed to raise money in order for their survival or for some great growth opportunity. Since they don't really need to, I think it takes the pressure off and they can kind of go this disruptive route. The typical investment banking IPO model hasn't changed much in a very long time. And perhaps it is ripe for some sort of disruption like direct offerings. But again, it really does depend about whether a company needs to raise capital or insiders are just selling. We're going to be doing uh, tomorrow's episode of Market Foolery is actually going to be a Facebook Live event. So if you're on Facebook, and I think it's fair to say that at least a few people uh, fewer are on Facebook now than maybe a (laughs) month or so ago. But if you're on, uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is just Motley Fool Podcasts, uh, and uh, we'll be streaming the video live on Facebook tomorrow around 11:30 Eastern. Speaking of which, we got a question in our Facebook group from Avi in Folsom, California, who writes, I'm wondering if the Motley Fool team can do a segment on why it's better to hold long-term than to try and time the market. There's a lot of indicators that the market correction is looming, like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger sitting on cash, rising interest rates, etc. I find it interesting that Avi is sort of looking at these different things and Concluding that a market correction is coming, but then right. again, if that's the case, he's not alone. There are pl- there are plenty of people. <laughs> well, Just turn on we're down ten percent, aren't we? Right. Yes. <laughs> although yes, although um, uh, our our co-founder David Gardner uh, and others, uh, including myself, sort of take issue uh, with the term correction. Right. Um, uh, defined as a drop of ten percent, uh, as though a rise of ten percent is not is is incorrect. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, in terms of the basic question of of holding long term versus timing the market, I mean, timing is it's you, you want a time you really do right. I think uh, institutional portfolio managers want a time. I think everyday retail investors and fools want a time. Honestly, I think you're better off not. Even though, sure, there's probably some folks who have had success doing it, and you know, they're the folks that you know write a book or you hear about on CNBC. But for the most part, most of us can't do it. And the reason is, first of all, it takes an incredible amount of attention. You have to be very hyper focused on not only your portfolio but the markets. Most everyday investors are not that. Hyper focused on it, and they don't have the time or the desire to be that focused on it. But even if you do have the time, it's still incredibly difficult. I love uh, an article I saw from Forbes, which said, successful market timing requires two correct decisions, when to get out and then when to get back in. Guessing right once is a 50-50 proposition. Guessing right twice drops the odds to only 25%. Um, And, you know, there are so many times where I have said, all the Schiller indications, the Berkshire, the anecdotal, it looks like the market's overvalued. It's time to get out. And then, you know what happens? The market has another 20% up year. It's very, very difficult. Um, the reason I brought all this paper <laughs> is because there was a study I wanted to, to tell fools about, which I thought was really interesting. If you had invested in 1996, by the end of 2016, you have had an annualized return of about 8.2%. If you missed the best five days of that period, your return would have dropped to 6%, significantly underperforming the market. Um, And if you missed the top 30 days, you would have actually lost money. So, 
it really ups the ante here when you over think. A, by the way, oh, just to emphasize, over a 20 year period. Right. So, I mean, just five days over a 20 year period makes such a difference. And, and let's face it, you're going to miss some of those days if you're trying to time. And, and selling a portion or all of your entire portfolio is, it could be actually not only take time, but could be quite costly in terms of capital gains that you'll be forced to pay for all the investments that you hold in a non-taxable tax-advantaged account. So, if you don't factor in the cost of capital gains, you're not doing the math appropriately either. So, it's tempting. I get it. There are times where I am more heavy in cash than not, based on whether I can find investments easily or not. I think that is okay. I think selling stocks when either you think their their upside is limited is okay. But to be a real market timer, I think, is fraught with issues that will probably, in almost all circumstances, end up not turning out well. The only thing I'll add is that. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have been sitting on piles of cash for years. <laughs> Very long time. <laughs> for years. They're, the number of t- I've stopped counting the number of times that Buffett has come out and given an interview on CNBC and said, Boy, I'm just, you know, the elephant, you know, the elephant gun is loaded. I'm ready to buy something, but I just, I, I just don't see anything cheap enough. And if you're going to be a market timer, that's the better kind to be. The kind he's not selling stocks, right? He's just not putting new cash to work because he can't find something that he likes enough. If if you're going to have to be a market timer, that's the kind to be. Thanks again to TurboTax Live, which is new from TurboTax. Tax day just in a couple of weeks, and now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or an EA. Do you know what EA stands for? Enrolled Electronic agent. Electronic Arts. <laughs> Enrolled agent. You can get a review from a CPA or an EA right on your screen. You can quickly connect to a tax expert via one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes. That's nice. You can even have an expert review your return. Check that out. Hello. Get some expert to review your return before you file, make any necessary changes, and it's all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee so that you can file with complete confidence. Again, people, you got just a couple of weeks to get this done. Don't sit on this. Connect with a TurboTax Live expert today at TurboTaxLive.com. General Motors announced its monthly sales figure for March. And take a good look, everybody, because this is the last time General Motors is going to issue monthly sales numbers. The company said that they are moving to a system where they're going to be reporting sales on a quarterly basis because it better aligns with their business and it's the numbers are less likely to be skewed by one off events like a major storm or what day of the week a holiday falls on, etc. I love this move. I was about to say, I didn't know which way you were going to go with this. Um, I love this move as well. It's not without consequences because you, you anger a little some people in the short term, mostly the investment community and analysts who have relied on these numbers and economists who have relied on these numbers. And also, whenever you do something that is not the norm and everyone else is still doing it, there could be some downsides, but I think that's in the short term. It'll be really interesting to see if all the companies follow suit and say, "Oh, thanks for the cover. You know, yeah. thanks for thinking of this because this this makes completely complete sense." You know, thirty days is not enough time to really separate 
what they say the the real sales trends from short term fluctuations. It's just not. Um, so they might take some analytical hits, I should say, from analysts in the short term. But but good for them. I think you know again we're long term investors here, so you shouldn't be using thirty um, day data to really make any investment decision. Quarterly should be plenty. I mean, that might even be too much data for the average investor. But you know we're used to it. So I applaud. Don't you think uh, uh, there's a 100% chance in my mind? Again, just in my mind, so not in reality. <laughs> but there's a 100% chance that someone else is going to do this. Sure. Whether, and there are some folks. Tesla doesn't do it, but you know, on a monthly basis, you know, right. you can only measure their cars in single digits. <laughs> but but uh, yes, I would imagine this will be um, eventually. I don't know if it'll be immediate, but that other companies will jump on the bandwagon. This has happened in retail as well with um, monthly same store sales figures and. I remember back in the day, 15, 20 years ago, I was following a company, and they said, "No more. We're not doing that. We're just going to quarterly." And I actually had the opposite reaction I have now because I was an analyst <laughs> and I wanted that data. But you know, I think I was I was naive. I didn't really need that data. I was just used to it, and they were taking something away from me, and I was a big baby about it. Um, I think this makes better sense. So I think this makes perfect sense for the automotive industry. Do you think it makes sense for the housing industry? Because that's that seems like it has more ripple effects in it, and I'm wondering if if anyone in the housing industry is looking at this and saying maybe we should go to quarterly too. Because I I don't know. I it feels it feels like this is more cut and dry. Where it's just look, this is just GM sales, and yes, maybe we can discern a little bit about Ford, Toyota, other automakers, etc. But I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like housing data. Almost needs to. St- I feel. Let me put it this way. Yeah. I feel like there would be a bigger backlash from the investment community if housing data started to go quarterly instead of monthly. Then, then we will see a backlash on this. I think there'd be a bigger backlash from the economist community, especially those folks in the government or those folks in certain areas where they're trying to predict GDP and they're using major, major indicators like real estate. Um, to help them do that, you don't want a horde of angry economists. You no, they're, they're vicious. Um, analysts would be bent out of shape too, but I really think the ire of the uh, the economic community would would be would be the highest. How was the college tour? You did for for those who missed it. Mm. Uh, Ron spring break involved taking his son to visit colleges. Yeah, we started in Michigan where it was cold, and we made our way all the way down to Florida where it was quite nice. Delightful. Um, it was great. Um, nice, nice uh, father-son bonding time. My wife joined us halfway through. A um, lot of flying, a lot of driving, a lot of walking, but we saw some great schools um, and had a, a really nice time. Was there a highlight for you personally? Uh, I'm, I'm sure your son's highlights, whether they be related to the actual academic institutions or just the travel, I'm sure that would be mm-hmm. different. Uh, well, seeing my daughter in Michigan, she's a student there, was was wonderful. And Sorry about the game last night. Yeah, that's okay. But I was going to say, that one of the other highlight, other than seeing my daughter, was when we were in Atlanta, we went to the Elite Eight game and saw Loyola and Kansas State play. Um, and then immediately after, we saw uh, went, to, went to a sports bar and saw Michigan play. So, it was a lot of great basketball that night, a lot of fun being there for the Elite Eight game. Um, so, it was fun. And you, I know you had a, a big, 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 big week. The white sandy beaches of central Pennsylvania. <laughs> I've gotten a, a couple of questions from listeners about this. So, um, long story short, had two other spring break trips planned. 
and those fell through. Mm. Uh, both of them to much warmer destinations. Climbs, as they say. Climbs. I almost yes. said climbs. Um, ended up going to central Pennsylvania, not known for its white sandy beaches, but discovered this fantastic, uh, in the middle of central Pennsylvania resort, called the Bedford Springs Resort, which is in uh, the town of Bedford, Pennsylvania. And it's uh, it's just, we had a fabulous time, despite the fact that the weather wasn't all that great. So it was one of those things where yeah. we said we're absolutely going to go back to this place because we had a great time and the weather wasn't good, which meant we so weren't if. able to take advantage of all the things that the resort offers in terms of just outdoor activities. Among them, the pool. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> there's an indoor pool. Okay. But uh, but no, we had we, we had a great time, and it was uh, a, a lot of history to this place. This is a place that it was built, I believe, in the 1840s. Wow! So it was, among other things, it was the Mar-a-Lago of the Buchanan administration. Oh. Uh, this was you know back in the 1800s when presidents of the if, United if States the walls could talk would just take several months off and just be like, I'm just going to go away for a couple of months. Um, yeah, James Buchanan when he was president. Because he was from from Pennsylvania, and he had been to the resort years earlier, he thought, "Oh, I'll go kick it there for a couple of months while I'm president." Nice, yeah, nice move. So, is there yeah. mini golf involved at all? Um, not at the resort. There may be somewhere in the area, but uh, no, I have. I I, you... I, paid, I paid 36 holes of mini golf last weekend, so that's why. <laughs> How'd you do? <laughs> yeah, I won one and tied one. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Did it have the classic windmill? <laughs> it did not. It was, I feel like it was a you, more look, simple if you're gonna that. if you're gonna have a mini golf course. You do whatever else you want on the other 17 <laughs> holes. You better have one hole that has the that's classic fair, windmill. That's fair. Ron Gross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>